I'm Kathy Peterson. I'm the director of Barry Pregnancy Resource Center. Since the center opened in 2006, we've provided support for more than 1,500 teens, women, men, families, and their babies. When I first found out that Jody was pregnant, it was like there's always a lot of emotions at stake, and I just was not. It was like an atomic bomb just dropping on me. I was not ready for it. center knowing that I was going to have a baby and that it was going to happen and it was inevitable and that it was going to be okay. And then from there we just kept in contact with Jackie. She would email us um, just to see like how we're doing and if she can help us in any way. And I think just from me talking to Jackie alone by myself um, definitely helped me find my voice and be able to be more confident and express how I feel. It, it just helped me to be able to communicate better. It helped my communication skills with pretty much everyone in my entire life. So that was very, very when I found out I was pregnant. It, it was terrifying. I was still in school, and a lot of my friends are very judgmental, and none of, no one at my school has had a baby. So I was the first student to ever be pregnant. And my parents, I was scared of what they were gonna think because I was so young, and they're expecting me to graduate next year, and I was terrified. so much and they talked me through it and it was amazing just being able to talk to somebody there. When I went to the center the first time, uh, a teacher from my school had actually recommended that I go there so they drove me and I met with Therese and we talked about just things I was nervous about, like family issues, just about 
how my family was feeling towards me being pregnant. And I was very scared, and Trace talked me through all of this. And just meeting with them was the biggest thing. Being able to talk to somebody, it helps so much because I felt like I couldn't talk to, about certain things with people because I didn't want to be judged, but the center was always a place I could go to and they wouldn't judge me and they would help me no matter what. For quite some time, our center here in Barrie has been supporting families not only from the Barrie area, but from South Georgian Bay, Collingwood, Wasaga Beach, and Stainer, but most of the families who connect from that area are not able to drive all the way to Barrie to get the support they need. We are so excited to announce that this year, the center will be expanding its reach and opening a satellite center in downtown Collingwood to serve the region of South Georgian Bay. Now, more than ever, the center needs your partnership to continue to serve families like these ones with a high level of excellence so that they are provided with the best support and opportunity to thrive in their situations. Thank you for your partnership. Your support has made a difference to each one of these families and will continue to for so, so many more. Well, good morning, Harvest. It is great to uh, see you and uh, welcome. Uh, so glad that you're here on this Mother's Day weekend. I'm Pastor Dan, and I'm blessed to be here today with Kathy Peterson, who is the Executive Director of the Barry Pregnancy Resource Center. And uh, more than that, Kathy and Martin, her husband, and their kids are active members here at Harvest, engaged uh, in many ways. And so why don't you welcome Kathy here this morning? Thank you. Yeah, it's good to have you, and uh, we're going to talk about a number of things and get into God's Word here in just a minute, but um, that was a fantastic video, and just seeing those stories, and that's just a glimpse into what the work of the PRC is all about. So, Kathy, as we get started, why don't you just fill us in a bit on the history, kind of where the PRC started, what it's doing, how we as a church have been involved, just kind of let our people know some of that. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for the opportunity to be here. I'm thrilled. Mm -hmm. um, being in my home church and talking about the center is so exciting. I often go and tell other churches about it, but it's so good to be here at home. And um, a lot of you may not even know the history of the Pregnancy Resource Center. First of all, we are a Christian organization, and we provide support to anyone facing unplanned pregnancy, pregnancy-related difficulty. But the history is that about 14 years ago, uh, Pastor Todd t preached uh, a message on hot topics, and one of those topics was abortion, and his, his conclusion of the message was that every life is valuable. We know that, and so as Christ followers, our response to someone facing an unplanned pregnancy should be, instead of pointing a finger, let's, let's walk alongside and put our arm around people, and that's really what the Pregnancy Resource Center does. Uh, Pastor Todd was our board chairman for the first 10 years of the center opening. Harvest is a key supporter of the Pregnancy Resource Center. We're so grateful for the support. Um, so that's financially and through things like the Harvest Helps Christmas offering, regular giving, and then also in really tangible ways. So mm -hmm. the 5,000 Hours Initiative, and we have people that regularly volunteer at the center from Harvest, um, small groups that have helped do things like stuffing envelopes mm -hmm. or uh, filling newsletters, that kind of thing, um, stuffing envelopes. 
cleaning at the center. We had someone who painted for us last year, so just really great things like that. And then one other exciting thing that's happened now that we've got our own building here mm -hmm. at Harvest is we had a small group at Christmas time, and then again this week, hold a special event for some of our families. That was awesome. And I think we've got some pictures that we're gonna show up on the screen here, but it was an incredible time. We had about 20 moms and dads and 20 babies. Um, just really a fantastic time of blessing those families. Aren't they beautiful? Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the neat things with that is that we have ladies who have never stepped foot in a church in their life. And they actually kind of said, oh, this is at a church? Like, I don't know if I want to come to this event. What, how, am I going to be judged? They weren't sure. And instead, they came, and they felt loved, and they had gifts, and they just were so blessed by this. So we're so grateful for all that Harvest does for the center. Well, and we're honored to do that. And one of the other ways that we get behind the PRC every year at this time, it actually launches uh, this morning, is the uh, baby bottle campaign. Everybody recognize these. And um, uh, this is actually one of the, the most important fundraisers for the PRC in the year. And so really, it's really, really simple if you're not kind of not aware of what this is all about. After the service, I'm going to encourage every family, every home, every person to head out to the West Lobby. There's a table and there's a whole bunch of these baby bottles. Get one. Pick your color, and uh, the goal really between now and Father's Day weekend is just to stuff this with a lot of money. And uh, preferably not like pennies and nickels, but like loonies, toonies, bills, checks. And uh, we, you know, we... Lots of money, lots of money. And, um, you know, we're, we're honored to be a, a great supporter of the PRC. We'd like to keep our place as the best contributor in the Baby Bottle campaign, all right? And so I, I'm shameless in asking us all to be very generous over the next five or six weeks. Bring these back stuffed at uh, Father's Day weekend, and I know it'll be a huge blessing to the ministry. Here, Sandy, you can have this one, all right? And... Um, yeah, so that's a, an important part of your ministry, right? Absolutely. The Baby Bottle Campaign is our key fundraiser every year, raises about 25% of our budget and hmm. really keeps us going. And as you heard, we're opening a satellite center. So this year, the campaign's being held throughout South Georgian Bay as awesome. well as here to, to support both centers. So That's awesome, awesome, <laughs> awesome. Well, we love being a partner. And um, uh, just really, it's stories like what we heard and what Kathy's been telling us. That's what we get excited about, to see lives that are being touched, lives that are being saved, uh, and um, just to see God at work, and um, I get you, you get to see that every day. Yeah, yeah, we really do, and even it, this year has been so exciting. We're just seeing great things happening, so even in the past couple months, we've had two people accept Christ, decide to follow Christ through the hmm. ministry of the center. That's awesome. Um, and young women who are, yeah, praise God. <laughs> Amen, praise God. It's... Um, and young women who are learning life skills and learning how to be a mom, and they wouldn't have otherwise, and... Um, holding babies that may not have been born. So mm. it's exciting, but you know, sometimes the stories aren't always easy, and we're gonna talk about that a little bit more today, but sometimes the ministry is hard, too. Yeah, and I, I think we can all relate to that. I mean, let's just be honest, life is hard, right? Mm -hmm. Life isn't always lived on the mountaintops. Oftentimes it's lived in the valley, and that's true for all of us. And um, there's a passage that God's kind of brought into your, mm -hmm. your uh, into your life the last few weeks and months that's really um, spoken about that into your heart and talks about um, a situation that was difficult and had some uncertainty and that uh, can help us as Christ followers when we face those kinds of, of situations in our own lives, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. So this is a passage. It's Jesus' first miracle we're going to talk about. And mm -hmm. passage that I've read, you know, probably a bazillion times in my life, it feels like. But you know how once in a while you read a passage and it just, a light goes off in a different way and you start questioning it and whatnot. And this passage, I think, is really fitting for Mother's Day because it's one of the few interactions that Jesus has with his mother. So mm -hmm. that's fitting. But I think it's also fitting for today. Um, we know that Mother's Day is happy for a lot of people. But just as Amber said, I know, especially because of my work at the Pregnancy Resource Center, that Mother's Day is really tough for a lot of people too, and it might be pregnancy-related, infertility, um, abortion, miscarriage, might be relationships that aren't right between kids and parents, um, or loss and grief. We just know that it can be a tough day. So I think this, this passage, I pray that the hope that I saw in this passage, you'll hear as well today. Mm -hmm. And you were telling me this week that you've really come to love this passage, but kind of initially, it raised a lot of question marks in your minds, and we're going to kind of talk through some of that as we go. So but let's start by reading that, and I hope you've already turned there to John chapter 2. If not, uh, turn in your Bible to John chapter 2. That's in the New Testament, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And as Kathy mentioned, this is uh, one of those interesting episodes with Jesus and his mother. It's his first miracle. And um, I'm going to begin uh, verse 1, chapter 2 of John. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants had drawn uh, the water new, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everybody serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So I don't know if I'm the only one. I hope I'm not crazy and not the only one, but, you know, that story ends really well. But the beginning of it just kind of bugged me. I was like, I don't understand how this story unfolds. Because, mm -hmm. you know, as you review it, you think, okay, here's this wedding. So Jesus is at a wedding with his disciples, with his family, and they ran out of wine. And so we know in that culture, that was a huge problem because they can't just go turn on a tap, right? Yep. So wine was what they would drink uh, for sanitation reasons and whatnot. And so Mary, the mother of Jesus, says to Jesus, they're out of wine. You know, she's letting him know about this problem. And his response Seems kind of weird. Uh, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. It almost seems rude, right? Mm -hmm. Like, almost like it's not my problem. I don't care. And he's the son of God. He's sinless. You kind of expect he's going to do something nice about it, right? And, and then as if that's not weird enough, it gets a bit weirder because Mary, it's almost like she ignores what he says. And she goes and tells the servants to do whatever Jesus tells them to do. And that is a little weird. It's like they're not on the same page when they're talking. And then Jesus, just a moment ago, it's like he said it's not his problem. What does this have to do with me? And then he, 
he turns water into wine. <laughs> and so it's just this, it's almost like they're ignoring each other with this conversation. So I just have so many questions. It's like, what, what's happening in, in this passage? And I just love hearing you kind of asking those honest <laughs> questions and just saying like, hey, what's going on here? Trying to wrestle with the text and figure out what it means. And I think we can all relate to that at different times, whether this story or others that we've read and we just come to it and it's kind of puzzling and we're just trying to make sense of what God's speaking to us here. And, and you were telling me this week, Kathy, about some of the things that you kind of do when you're facing that challenge in God's word and, and how that you know, brings some new understanding and new insight. So just tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so when I have a passage like this where I just don't understand what's happening, the first thing I do is pray. Yeah. God, help me understand this because my small little mind is not understanding what you're doing here. Um, and after I pray, I start to do research. And so usually this means going online and Googling and finding commentaries to read, trying to understand the culture. Uh, sometimes it's trying to look up the original language and, uh, and, and see what things really mean. Um, so when I studied this passage, one of the things that I really stood out to me is that I'm a lot like Mary. Hmm. You know, living in a world where things aren't quite right and, and bringing those problems to God, I just really identified and felt like I'm, I'm a lot like Mary. And it's true, we are a lot like Mary. And mm. it doesn't matter whether we, we look fine and put together and all happy and you know life's smooth on the outside, but uh, we have those burdens, we have those struggles, we have those questions on the inside. So we are a lot like Mary in that regard. Yeah, I think so. And so, you know, thinking, I, I'm like her. I'm living in a broken world. I started to try and figure out, well, what, what might Mary be thinking when she's asking Jesus to, or telling Jesus about the wine and saying to the servants, do what she says? What is she thinking about? And I couldn't help but think that she's got to be thinking about back when she was a teenager um, and the Christmas story that we all know, that Mary was approached by an angel of God being told she was going to give birth to the Son of God, the Messiah, and he was going to make everything better. He was going to be a king, and, and all of the problems in the world were going to be gone. And, and Mary, this wasn't just a crazy thing that happened in her head, because she did give birth as a virgin. So she knew the miracle of that, and then the other part of the Christmas story, we know, she experienced all of that. So there were angels that came and spoke to shepherds when her son Jesus was born, and they came and worshiped at the birth. Um, things like uh, even when they, the wise men that a couple of years later came and, and, and worshiped Jesus. So all these miracles that happened. And, and the birth of John the Baptist is another part of the miracle. So back when, when Mary gave birth to Jesus, her cousin Elizabeth, who was older, not able to have children anymore. Um, miraculously, Elizabeth and her husband, Zachariah, ha gave birth to a baby boy, John, who ended up growing up being John the Baptist, and prophecy was told that he would be the forerunner for the Messiah. He would be the one who would tell everyone about the Messiah. So you just think, okay, Mary has this in her mind. The Bible says that she stored it in her heart, all these things that happened. So flash forward you know, 30 years, Mary's about my age, and she's at this wedding, um, and it's getting exciting because John the Baptist has started his ministry already. Mm -hmm. He's telling people, repent, the kingdom of God is coming. Jesus has been baptized even as, as a symbol of, of starting his ministry and went and had time of prayer. He's getting his disciples, so I think Mary's getting excited, and there's anticipation. The Bible says clearly, just before this passage, there's anticipation that people are getting excited. The Messiah is going to come. They're waiting for the Old Testament prophecy to be fulfilled, and it's and, exciting. And now, 2,000 years later, we're still waiting, really, right? Yeah. We're in this period of, of waiting for God's promise to be fulfilled. Jesus came, and, 
and, uh, and died and rose again. And um, we're in this period. We are waiting for him to come and to fulfill his promise to establish his kingdom fully on this earth and to make, to make everything the way that he intended it to be in the first place. And so, yeah, like Mary, we're, we're in this waiting period. Yeah, very much so. And one of my favorite passages to remind me of the hope that we're waiting for is right at the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21. Um, Will you read that? Sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Revelation 21. These are on the screen, the first five verses. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And I love that passage. No more tears, no more pain. I just can't wait for that to happen, but we all know we're not there yet. We're still waiting, just like Mary was waiting. We're still waiting, and there's brokenness and hurt around us. Yeah, we're in this period of waiting and uh, wanting God's promises to be fulfilled, but we face the reality of living in a broken world, and I think we can all identify with that in, in all sorts of ways, that we live in a broken world. I think about Mary and I I think about how it must have felt to be waiting with anticipation, excited, knowing the Messiah is going to come. This is going to be, this is my son. He's going to set up his kingdom. They thought it was going to happen then. So it's exciting. And then yet, just this tension in her mind because it's, it's supposed to happen soon, but I'm at this wedding and it's people I care about and they have no wine. And like we said, that's a problem in that culture. They couldn't just turn on the tap. And also, it, it almost showed like you didn't care about your guests. There was a lot of shame if you ran out of wine. There could even be lawsuits. And I think that that comment that she says, they have no wine, I almost feel like there's a bit of deflation in her heart. You know, that's what I read into it. Um, they have no wine. And I think about how that compares to us today and the injustice that we see in the world or the brokenness that we see, um, just difficulties that all of us go through in our own life, things like political scenes and natural disasters, relationships, grief, loss. They have no wine. Abuse and hardship, all the things that we face, uh, accidents, death, it's... They have no wine. We're so much like Mary, what she was facing. And I think about the PRC, the Mm. pregnancy center. And I see it a lot. You see it a lot. Yeah, we see happy stories, but we see stories where I just feel like they have no wine. Uh, Statistically, one in four girls is sexually assaulted, abused before the age of 16. Mm. You know, and not everyone who comes to the center has had a history of abuse, but many, many women that come and men have that history of abuse, and it's heartbreaking. And we see cycles of abuse continue in families, and it's heartbreaking. And sometimes we can make an impact, but sometimes the things we see are really hard. Um, Addictions and uh, women showing up with bruises all over them because they've been assaulted by their partner. Uh, People making bad choices or just not able to break out of that cycle. Sometimes we work with a family, walk with a woman all through the pregnancy. She has her baby, she's trying. she just can't overcome things. And we've seen, unfortunately, babies that have been abused or hurt or harmed and end up in foster care. So there's times that, you know, 
I think we all just, Lord, will you just come? Will you just end it? Will you set your kingdom up now and put an end to this pain? Enough, Lord, please, just come now. And I think sometimes when we look around at the world and see the injustice, and it can be micro-injustice in one life, it can be macro-injustice across you know, our culture, our society, and in all different pockets, we, we see this injustice, we see the brokenness, we see the devastation in our world, and like, I'm just being honest here, it can be overwhelming. It's like, wh- what can I even do? What, how, can I, how can I hold on? How can I help? What, could I, what difference could I make in that? And you know, our world is broken today just like it was in Mary's life, and it will be. The, the sad news is it, it will continue to be broken until that glorious day when Jesus returns and establishes his rule and his reign on this earth as he's promised. And, um, you know, the thing that we need to keep in mind, the thing that we need to hold on in the midst of all of this brokenness, all of this injustice, is that our God is the same today as he was then. Uh, He hasn't changed. His promises haven't wavered. Uh, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's something that we can hold on to. God's the same today as he was then. So uh, back to the passage, you know, when I read the start, you know, you continue through to the next verse and thinking about, well, what's Jesus's response, right? We know God has these promises. So when I read the next sentence to, to the, Jesus' response to Mary saying, we have no wine, you know, like I said at first, it doesn't seem that encouraging because mm-hmm. Jesus said, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not come. And like I said, it almost seems like he doesn't care and it's not my problem. And that's kind of when you dug in a little further, try to figure like, there's got to be something more to this statement and what, what is Jesus really saying? And you looked in the, you know, some of your study tools and all that. So what did you find mm. about that part of the story? It was really helpful to dig into culture and language. Um, and so some of the things I found as I researched this is just, first of all, woman, you know, because it'd be a little sassy in our culture, right? Like you don't call your mother woman. Um, mm-hmm. But it really, it's, a, it's um, a word that we don't really have a proper English translation for. Um, there's a tone of tenderness. There's not disrespect in that. And so women, or Jesus used that term woman with other women that he'd healed or showed care to. And when he last uses the term woman, he uses it as he's dying on the cross. Mm-hmm. Um, and his mother is there and his disciple John, and he's entrusting his mother to his disciple John and says, woman, here's your son. So we know this term woman isn't rude. It, it has some tenderness to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the other thing, uh, the next sentence, what does this have to do with me? It seems a little weird. It, yeah, it does, right? Like it just seems like, not my problem, wash my hands. But as I researched it more, I found this is a Jewish idiom. And so it's used throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, different times, and it creates distance. And in English today, it would almost be like saying, you know, we're not on the same page about this. We're, we're thinking differently. Like, in fact, you know, we're worlds apart. We're not on the same page. And so, you know, you think of how that applies to that situation. Mary was thinking about the here and now. Right. She was thinking about the problem, just like we do. Like, God, this circumstance stinks, right? Like, will you help with this? Jesus, his timeline was different. Mm -hmm. He knew that he wasn't setting his kingdom up right then. Um, His timeline was future, and he's thinking about God's glory and having people believe that he's the Messiah. So they were on different pages. You know, and I think about, well, how does that apply to us today? I think Jesus was saying the same thing to Mary as he says to us. Um, As the heavens are above the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And we have that, Isaiah 55, nine says that. And I just think that's it. Like sometimes God's just gotta remind us. He's gotta remind me that the way I'm thinking isn't really the way he's thinking about things. Yes, 
And uh, we have such a limited perspective sometimes. You know, when we are praying, we're looking at the here and now, and God is thinking about the final outcome. He knows that he's going to bring justice. He knows that this isn't going to continue forever. We, right. we feel a little bit like now, like, oh, this is never going to end. He knows it isn't that one day he is going to have his kingdom come. Mm -hmm. He will bring an end to all the injustice. And as we think, well, then why, why are you waiting? It's because he doesn't want anyone to miss out on that Revelation 21 that we read about. He doesn't want anyone to miss out on that heaven. There might be someone sitting here today, and maybe God's waiting for you to surrender, to get to know him so that you're gonna be part of this heaven. Second Peter verse 3, 9 explains that really clearly. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He doesn't want anyone to miss out on heaven. And we live in this, uh, we live in this time that, that Bible scholars often refer to as the now but not yet. And uh, some of you may have heard that term. And it really, um, we've been in that time for the last 2,000 years. That, that time began really when Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected and, and returned to heaven. And it's this in-between period where Jesus has as we've, we've already talked, he's inaugurated his work, he's begun the redemptive work, he's begun the, the reconciling and the restoring of all things to the way he intended. So in some senses, it's the now, but we also all get that we still live in this brokenness and that isn't, it isn't the way it is going to be, it isn't the way it's supposed to be, and um, it won't be fully realized until he returns a second time, until that glorious day, and so, it's now, but it's not yet. It's, it's this in-between waiting time. And so really in this waiting period, and that's where we all live, that's where our lives are lived, that's where the rubber meets the road. We, the reality is we have a choice about how we're gonna respond to God in this waiting period, in this time between. And it's just the same as Mary did. She had a choice about how she was gonna respond to God, and we do too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, you know, sometimes I wish, don't you wish you could just read tone into scripture, mm -hmm. you know, like I wish I could know what Mary's voice tone sounded like when she said, you know, for Jesus telling the servants to do whatever he says to do. Was she, was she exasperated? Did she throw her hands up, you know, like you do sometimes with your kids and you walk out of the room and say, do whatever he says to do, you know? Was yeah. she like that? Or what was she like? You know, she might have been responding in fear or anger. She might have started having fear that maybe this promise wasn't gonna unfold. Maybe she got it wrong. Mm -hmm. God, do you really love me? Did I get it wrong? She might have been angry and shook her fist at God and said, I've suffered injustice. You think about her as an unwed mother in that culture. She would have had a lot of shame and she could have been angry saying, why? Why haven't you fulfilled this yet? Here we are without wine. But I don't think that's how Mary responded based mm -hmm. on the context. Um, I think of Mary back when she was a teenager and when that angel told her she'd give birth to the Son of God, she said, behold, I'm your servant. And I think that when Mary told the servants to do whatever Jesus said to do, I really think that was her acting in faith um, and trust. Do whatever he tells you to do. You know, that's the, that's the call for us, that we would respond in trust to God too. And, um, you know, I was thinking this week about a hymn that, um, at least I used to sing back in the day, a, a beautiful a hymn called, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. And perhaps some of you remember the, the lyrics to that song. The chorus goes like this. It says, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. And I think if we're just honest, I, we want to be there. We want to be in that place of trust, of surrender, of just being able to say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. 
but we recognize that that's a, pl- a hard place to live in the brokenness of our world. And that, that's why the last line of that song says, oh, for grace to trust him more. It's like, God, I need you to help me to trust you more. And um, it's just not always that easy. It's, it's easier said than done. But we need to trust God even when our faith is small. Yeah, it's so true because our feelings can really throw us off sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, we're in the circumstances looking at what's happening and those feelings just kind of get in the way and faith really is an action word. It's it not is. a feeling, it's, it's a choice um, to trust God and trust his word and trust what he says. Um, sometimes though, it's hard to figure out practically what that means. You know, if we've got a decision to make or we just don't know, well, what does it mean to have faith? What do I do here? And you were saying there's some things that kind of your go-tos mm-hmm. when your, your faith is maybe weak and you're yeah. trying to bolster your faith and really cling to the Lord and things that you found that be helpful in that. So why, why don't you share that with the people, some of those things? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes when my feelings aren't matching my head, the faith right. that I want to have, uh, the things that I do, probably a, some of you do the same things. Worship music is one of my first go-tos. Uh, for me, a lot of times this is in the kitchen and I'm often cooking and sometimes, you know, chopping the carrots a little aggressively because maybe my, my feelings aren't where I want them to be. Oh, this is frustrating. But after song after song, it doesn't take many songs often for God to start breaking the hardness of my heart and for the tears to come. And and he changes my my mind, my thinking, you know, because we weren't on the same page. And he starts bringing that peace and changing my mind. And uh, reading the Bible, scripture, and reading the Psalms especially, um, God affirms honesty with him because the Psalms are are hit. A lot of the psalmists are God, are them pouring out their heart to God, exactly. saying like, oh, my enemies are surrounding me. God, have you forsaken me? This kind of stinks. They're very and real. They're very real. And then they work through those emotions to a place where, okay, God, I trust you, even if I don't understand. And so reading the psalms really helps. Serving sometimes, you know, yep. focusing on others and realizing I am not the only one that has this pr- a problem and, and taking my eyes off myself. Um, community, small groups, uh, Bible studies, and I'm so grateful for our team at the center. We pray together every day. There's a lot to be said for asking someone to pray for you. When we you're we in need a tough each other, spot. right? We need each other. We absolutely need each other. Um, so those are the things, you know, some of the easy things that I do. And then one of the most helpful things that I do myself is is prayer. And for me, a lot of times that looks like journaling. Sometimes I just don't, you know, my words, I, I'm sleepy or tired, I'm praying and falling asleep. And for me, journaling is a good way to communicate with God. Um, and sometimes it's full sentences, sometimes it's just a list. But one of the best books that I have uh, read in the past 10 years is one that I keep going back to. There's some great theological insight in it. Everybody's going to want to get this one, right? Everyone's going to want to get this one. So yes. I really wanted to share. And we got a picture of it. <laughs> So <laughs> Lucy doesn't wear pink. So this is a daughter, or a, a, sorry, a book that I read to my daughter mm-hmm. back when she was a preteen, um, a, a series by Nancy Rue about this tween girl who just struggled in life and felt like a square peg, you know, didn't fit in. And mm. uh, she has a nanny named Inez, and this nanny gives her good advice about life and about certain about knowing God. And I love what one of the things that, that Inez says to Lucy at one time, because Lucy had this book of lists that she'd write. She didn't know it was prayer, and Inez says, well, if you're writing honest thoughts, it's, it's like prayer. And Inez relates to Lucy, and she says, and we've got this quote, I often write my troubles when they are tangled. Show God the knots, and he will untangle them. You know, and that is something, if you looked at my journals for the past 10 years that I have written over and over, God, please untie these knots. And I've just listed this and this and circumstances. And God has been faithful every single time to untie my knots. 
Um, sometimes he changes the circumstances. That does happen. So I, I don't understand, still don't understand prayer to this day in some ways that God responds in a way that when we pray that he wouldn't always. But a lot of times some of the, what he does, the greater miracle is what he does in my heart. Right. He gets my mind thinking on the same page as him and changes my thoughts about things and gives me peace. Um, and that, that really is the, the biggest miracle of all. For sure, for sure. So those are some incredible incredibly practical tips, and I know I've uh, implemented many of those. I'm sure many of you have found those to be very helpful in those moments of difficulty as well. Now, the, the final part of this passage is pretty amazing, and here's where we see the miracle actually happen, right? Yeah. Jesus responds to Mary's uh, expression of trust, and he turns the water into wine. He does this amazing, amazing thing. It's his first miracle. We mentioned that, and um, you know, what did you learn about kind of the significance of this for us today? Mm -hmm. You know, I thought about the symbolism of wine, and, and you know, we talked about this because the ESV version that most of us use says the good wine, but that really is like the goodest wine. Yeah, so the goodest. we're saying the best wine, because goodest, you know, it's the best wine. So what is the symbol of the best wine, the goodest wine? Symbolism of wine, we think communion, the last supper that Jesus had with his disciples and how he implemented the communion we do every, every regularly here at Harvest. Drinking the wine, the wine represents his blood that was shed for us. And so I think about what's the best wine for us in our lives today. It isn't always a miracle that God will do, it's, it's Jesus himself. It's salvation, it's that hope of heaven, and it's his presence, it's Jesus with us right now. Mm -hmm. He, he himself is the best wine. Yeah, um, yeah. and uh, you know, I think, this isn't just theory. This is something I know, and many of you live this day in and day out, that we've, our only hope is the best wine. <laughs> it's Jesus. And you know, I think of running the center, and been doing that now for almost 12 years. Our kids were young when we started, uh, two and four, and all the time kind of balancing ministry life and family life. Um, and it's Jesus who has kept me all that time doing that, because I balance it with being a mom, a wife, a daughter. And the past year and past couple months have been particularly challenging ones in our, our personal lives, uh, the Peterson household. My dad was diagnosed with cancer a year ago, and last month, God took him home to be with him. And so that was, you know, there's the bittersweet in all of that, there's the mm. grief, but it was happening at the same time as we're opening a satellite center in Collingwood. We're getting ready for that. We're doing the baby bottle campaign, so it's kind of the busiest time, and here I am balancing all of this, and just the grief, and then the practical things that go with uh, someone passing on. And so we kind of just feel like we're getting through that a little bit, and then this past week, uh, my husband's mom also became very sick, and she is home with the Lord now. She passed on, and so this is normal stuff of life. There's so many people that have things that you know really happen that are, are tougher, but it has been a tough month for us as I balance doing the center and doing this, and it is Jesus alone that has kept me through this month and is keeping me. It's his strength, and I just, my prayer for each of you, I don't know what you're going through, Right? We don't know, but no. God knows everything that each person has carried into this room. Mm -hmm. And my prayer today is, will, how will you respond? Will it be in fear or anger, or will it be in trust? And I'm thinking, uh, we're going to close in prayer in a couple of minutes. But if you have something that you're carrying, mm -hmm. right, some knots that you can't untie, perhaps as we're praying, you could just surrender those to God and choose trust and maybe one of the ways that you would do that, even just symbolically, just hold your hand out, your palm up. It doesn't have to be up high, right? This is just between you and God. Even just on your lap, hold your palm open. 
and think of that thing in your mind, that knot that you can't untie, that thing that is between you and God, and just give it to him. He is the only one that can change our hearts and give us peace. So we'll pray, and I just do that if that's something or the way you want to respond. Okay, let's pray. Father, we worship you and love you. Thank you for your goodness to us. We know that your word says that you know how many hairs are on our heads. You know our thoughts before we even think them and our words before we speak them. You know us inside out. And Father, I just lift up each person who is carrying a burden. They have knots that they can't untie. And Father, as they take a faith step and and maybe hold their palm open and give you the knots, Father, I pray that you would work in a way that you wouldn't have worked if we hadn't taken this step of trust and, and, and given these things to you. Father, I pray that you would be glorified, that people would know you. If, if people haven't come to know you yet, that that might be the first faith step, is just trusting you, saying, I, I want to get to know you. Thank you so much for your love for us and that you are a God who hears. Amen. Amen.